You're listening to New Dogma Zine. Hello and welcome to another New Dogma audio situation. It is episode 40, a nice round number, Grant. We're officially over the hill now. We are. This is Andrew. I'm here with Grant. How, How are you, sir? No Mitch this week. He's doing familial, Christmassy, end-of-year holiday things in warmer climates. That's a lie. He's just... <laughs> He's just dancing with... Uh, he's at home. He's at home grooving away to uh, what a fool believes with yeah, his dad. He probably is. He probably is. <laughs> Which, to be honest with you, yeah, that's not a bad thing to be doing. We have a return guest tonight. Yep. This doesn't yes, happen do. very often. Yes, Invited herself back on. Which you is know? the way I, I prefer guests to, <laughs> yeah. to come on the show. It was great for us because otherwise <laughs> we'd be asking somebody else. Yeah. And Francesca Hong is here again. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, good yeah. to have you back, friend. Thank you. How was y'all's Christmas? You go first. Uh, Christmas was all right. Um, unfortunately, we had some sick kiddos, so mm-hmm. it was a lot of kind of getting them to realize you're sick. You can't be this, you know, going around. out. Yeah, a lot of sickness right now. Oh my gosh, I'm. Yeah. I just told you about a situation I'm in with my job. Um, But otherwise, just chill. Family, and my sister's Jewish, so we always try to, like, limit, you know. The Christmas stuff. And, and, well, limit the Christmas stuff. Kiddo already knows Santa's not real. Yeah. Cousins, like, try to break it to him, but I'm like, it's all good. Um, And we get Chinese food one of the days. That's great. Yeah. It's it's like a Christmas story. Yeah. You get a Christmas turkey. Yeah. Apologies to anybody who's kids who are listening to this that doesn't know Santa's not real, but you know what? <laughs> You're gonna find Fuck out. it. You're gonna find, <laughs> find out, out eventually. Hey, you know what? We make don't know no... this. We will never lie to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your, your parents speaking yeah. truth to power here. Yeah, correct. This exactly. is what it's about. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Correct. Christmas was good on mine. Um, you know, got to see the kid. She's pretty great. Yeah. She, she wants to go to the record store. Later on this week, probably end up spending over a hundred dollars on her, which that's what you do. Yeah. So that's um, a cool kid. She's mm-hmm. a, oh, she's she's a dope kid. Yeah. So she's a dope kid. Um. So mom and dad, mom and dad are good. Yeah. You know, went to uh, hang out with family of theirs that's Lebanese as well. Yeah. And uh, ate a lot of good food, drank a lot of good booze. Nice. Came home, got to hang out with you guys on Friday, which was awesome. Yeah. Got to put up this amazing print of MF Doom that Andrew gave me. Oh, yeah. Um, and the boys. So. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mine was pretty subdued as well. We did, my brother did have his kids this year. So, you know, nice. we had some kids un- nice. unwrapping gifts, which was also, it's always nice. It's always fun. My mom <clears throat> came with the, the practical Christmas gifts this year. Uh, gave everybody like at least three of those uh, fire blankets. Yes. I got pre- one even. prepared heroes, but that's because like, so my partner, Lisa, she is kind of a slight doomsday prepper, slight, very slight. She is from Texas. Yeah. But like, so. we already have these in like every room of our house, but you know, my, my mom's also like, and she, there's no chance she's listening to this. And if she, even if she is, she'll corroborate the story. She's like, the other <laughs> Sherry? half, the Sherry? Gifts, oh, yeah. yeah. She's like, the other half, the gift's not even here. I was like, "What do you What do you mean? I already we already have enough of these." She's like, "I got you one of those car escape kits." Nice. I was like, "What do you mean? What is a car escape kit?" Well, you know, if your car ever goes into water, and the battery, the electronics go out, and you can't roll your window down. It's got a hammer in there. You just 
smash, smash the your window. way out. Yeah. I was like, well. Opening the door is always tough, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad she's thinking about this stuff because I absolutely <laughs> am. Well, also, like, she's thinking of, you know, it, it's it's a bit of a shade on you because she's like, my son could get into a situation where he's, he's going to drive up, into water. He's going to end up in the water. <laughs> absolutely. And he needs enough fire blankets to yeah. where he can, like, put out an entire, like, uh-huh. pro- housing project. Yeah. I now have a fire blanket in my car. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to soon have a hammer you had, kit. You asked me when you get, you're like, do you want one of these? And I'm like, I'd never really thought about like, do I need a fire blanket before in my life? Yeah, but, but now, but now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I could use a fire blanket. How did you live, <laughs> how did you live your life this long? I'm like, one? I need a fire blanket. I anyway. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I, you know, Christmas is Christmas. It's when you're a grown up, it loses some of its magic. It absolutely but, does. But I was glad to be around the kids because they, mm-hmm. they had some of it back in. That's, that's I think, is the, the key. Is yeah. that I think as you get older, you start to see, like, the commercialism and mm-hmm. everything behind Christmas. And it kind yeah. of, like, loses its luster. But you need those kids because kids fucking lose their shit for Christmas. And it's awesome. And that's what makes Christmas so cool is you know, the kids. Well, you know what the best part, the interesting part about it. How is, was, how was yours on Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, how was how was George? George was awesome. Yeah, and I have to say, now as a parent and knowing that winter break in you know yeah. a cold uh, cold area, mm. you just you need some more stuff for your kid to do. So like yeah. to get a bunch of stuff from other relatives, and then they're like set for maybe twelve hours. But that's twelve <laughs> hours where that like you don't have to come up. I with don't shit. have to exactly. worry. About it's beautiful. It. <laughs> it is fantastic. Uh-huh. It is. Fa- I understand that one hundred percent. Yes. Yep. yep. So, other so this is a good segue. Other big news: George got a haircut. Yes, George got a haircut at the fantastic Honeycomb Salon, and this was like he wanted to go for the big change, as they call it. In like when was his know, last stylist? Haircut? Uh, maybe a couple months ago. Okay, but like yeah. a big change haircut's like a big deal. Yeah, yeah I mean she went. She went a couple yeah. different um, like blades on the clipper, mm-hmm. and uh, he picked out the other day. Um, he's like, "Mom, I need some like hair cream." And I was like, "Come again?" Because I don't use any products. Here it goes. Yeah, and he's out here like, "Oh, this one looks okay." He was very particular about like what mm. which one he wanted to pick out. Um, but it's it's exciting to see them like you know become individuals yeah. and have does opinions. he have straight or wavy hair he has straight hair okay and the thing is okay. like he i didn't cut his hair for three years like after he was born he was born with a lot of hair and he had a you know just lovely long locks for most of his mm. like toddlerdom and then um nope. yeah once he got to school he was like i need this shorter i need this out of the way and now it's the shortest it's been and he styles it yeah oh man there's nothing that destroys my mom more than knowing that like her son who had this beautiful long hair when I was when I was a toddler now has a shaved head <laughs> and she's always like could you just grow your hair out I'm like mom I can't like, there's nothing here like yeah. you, know, you know she's just like just before I die I want to see you with hair I'm like that ain't gonna happen <laughs> it's like one day one day ma yeah <laughs> when you see me with hair you know you've passed on yeah so yeah. Um, wanted to round back before we kind of talk. Um, we've got some, obviously we've got some, it's it's the end of the calendar year. We're not yep. going to have another episode until 2024. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, New Year's things 
But wanted to round back from our previous discussion just because I thought this was a really cool stat since last time we talked because we were talking about women's soccer. So uh, Arsenal played Chelsea at the Emirates on the 10th of December. This was mm-hmm. a few weeks ago mm-hmm. to a crowd of 59,042 people. Damn. Which beat the previous women's Super League record, which was 54,115 back in early November at the same stadium. I have to think like these these numbers people have to be paying attention mm-hmm. to these numbers and knowing that like this is a marketable crowd at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they if they didn't get it before. And you know, you you see all the things, you know, uh speaking of Twitter, we were just speaking about Twitter before this. Twitter has some of the greatest soccer trolls that that exist and of course they're they're English. And so they've been just lambasting this and you know making what do you mean they're english they put like h and p sauce on their tweets probably yeah okay (laughs) all right yeah this makes sense now but it's one of those things where you know something is is moving the needle when the trolls come out oh yeah when the trolls come out you know that there's something that's changing the paradigm of what people are used to and that's always a good thing yeah and 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 so that pushback is validation for sure and I think again, the game is it's it's there's a complexity, there's an energy, there's like drama now. You see the personalities of different players coming oh, yeah. out, like there's less diving and shit. I just mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's it's becoming much more enjoyable to watch and attend and a crowd feel like they're ultimately when you have a movement it's because people feel like they're a part of something and Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of the fans now recognize that they're a part of something that's growing that's really cool and that they want to be like passed on for generations yeah right yeah we'll say the saudi men's league not so great <laughs> Grant, I, Grant and I watched the top I, two teams. So, all right, I, so I've been I've been bagging on the Saudi league for what six seven months now. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I'm going to be bagging on the Saudi league, but um, we finally had the chance yesterday during Boxing Day to watch two of the premier teams in the Saudi league. There was a Benzema's team ET and. and uh, yeah. El Halal. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's team yeah. and Benzema's team. And I just told Andrew before I turned it on, I'm like, I just need you to watch some of the quality of this soccer. Oh. And, and it is it is straight up Sunday league soccer. Yikes. <clears throat> I mean. It's not even USL one level. No. It's, it's bad. It is bad. It is bad soccer. And I'm seeing this. And, of course, you look at this, and I know where you're going with this. It's like. They market the help, you know, it's because of the, you know, and this is a horrible league. You can't tell me that this is more exciting These or are the a better product. teams, talent-wise. Right. Or a better, like you had Sadio Mane is on one of the teams. Right. You know, and so you have, you can't tell me that's a better product to watch. Right. That was garbage. Yeah, it was pretty bad. The only reason that you're putting that on television is because of the, the stars that are mm-hmm. there. Yep. It's not about the quality. And, I, and when you're starting to do that, you're losing sight. It's a commodity at that exactly. point, Exactly. Right? You're losing sight of what mm-hmm. the game's about. And, and I think that that's where people are starting to see, like, I'm not watching. Like, I'm not this, It's disrespectful. This is, to this pro, this is the like, pro wrestling yeah. of soccer. And I'm it's like, not even that good, Grant. Yeah, no, pro wrestling's a lot better than yeah. that. 
Anyway, it was, uh, yeah, the games that we watched yesterday were pretty... So this is the third year that Grant and I have kind of had this tradition of getting together, What whether you call it St. Stephen's Day or Boxing Day or whatever, the day after Christmas. Boxing Day. Yeah, but. I mean, it's it's, a, it's the caste system is whoever enjoys it and who doesn't. Right. That's what you call it. Anyway, um, yeah, we watched... Chelsea, or no, uh, it was... Uh, Fulham and, and uh, Cherries. Yeah, Fulham Bournemouth. and Bournemouth. And we Fulham's watched. my squad, and of course they're... We flip back and forth between that and Celtic and Dundee. Tough season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up and down. Hey, yeah. surprise. But we watched Celtic, and we're Celtic fans, and they they look they look good. They look good. Um, then we watched the late game as well, which was... Well, we didn't watch the late, late game. No, that was the Man U game. Yeah. We watched the... I forget what game it was, but... Yeah, it was okay. All of them were really not super entertaining. Compared to the last two years, yeah. where they were great games. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, but with that, the the Boxing Day transitions into the next holiday that we really have at this point. The next marker in our lives, uh, at least you know in this country anyway, and most of the Western world is New Year's. I frequently like to hear people's takes on whether New Year's resolutions are a thing for them, if they mean anything, if they're something they do. Both of you, I'd be interested to hear if you do New Year's resolutions, if you think they're bullshit, if they're worth something, what is it? Nah, they're trash. (laughs) (laughs) It's people... Probably like a lot of folks just, you know, end the year with a lot of celebrations, a lot of overindulgence. You know, you get together with friends and family. There's lots of food involved. And I think folks just, you know, they want to cleanse and Mm. then it's going back to just doing your best. Yeah. Same old shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think it's, you know, it's again something that's become, you know, uh, just. People, it's an opportunity for a lot of you know, fitness centers and mm-hmm. people who are really like predatory in like the health industry and like the wellness industry and the folks who are out here being yeah. like, yeah. yoga is going to change your world, which for some folks, maybe it might. it might, but it's, it's just another day where you can like target a group of consumers. Yeah. yeah. Consumerism. New uh, year, new you, Grant. I'm also with Fran on this. They're trash. Um, a lot of this comes from my experience working in the service industry for as a bartender for many years on New Year's Eve. Oh, it's amateur hour. It New is absolutely amateur hour. Oh, the 100%. worst. It is. That became so. That became one, the one holiday that I would say that I did not want to work. And it's a great as a bartender. It's a great holiday to work because you make a lot of money. This is a big money, but I did not care. I've been like, I'll take Christmas. I'll take Christmas Eve. I'm like, yeah. I love those crowds. I'll take Thanksgiving. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, great. It's prime. Yeah. That's a prime. That's a prime one to get. A lot of like homecoming exactly. type exactly. crowds. Exactly. And like, everyone's happy. Yeah. Everyone's in a great mood. Yeah. So New Year's for me was a bullshit holiday. I hate it. I also lost my grandfather and my uncle both on separate New Year's Eves. So who both they both worked in the service industry as well. <laughs> and so... For me, it's one of those things, but I'm also with Fran, where I'm like, I don't like the aspect of like, well, I'm just going to do this, and then all of a sudden, a switch is going to flip, and I'm going to be a new person. Yeah. It's something that, like, as we talk about, 
many times in you know in our personal conversations, even on the show, personal growth is something that you have to work on every day. Yep. And it's you you can't you have to just continually be pushing yourself forward. And it's not something where you just say like, all right, well, I'm going to do this now. It's the difference between being a day one motherfucker and a one day motherfucker. Yeah. Like one day I'm going to do this one day and then, or day one where I'm going to do this. I'm like, I'm going to, this is where I'm, I start. This is what I am. And it's always going back to it. So I'm not a big New Year's Eve. I'm not, no, no pass trash, trash. <laughs> you love it. Don't you? I, <laughs> Look at him. I like, Look at him. <laughs> He's winding up. I I look, okay. I understand the reasoning that most people have for like putting a demarcation point on trying to mentally prepare themselves to do some new shit. But honestly, I feel like I had a teacher once in high school that told me you can't get stuck on stupid. And his whole thing with that was like once you know something needs to change, you have to change it. Don't wait for it. Just fucking do it. Yep. And I've subscribed to that for as uh, as long as I can remember. Yep. I do, though. I understand, though, that, like, there's a lot of the population out there that are a bunch of fucking basic assholes. And they need some sort of, like... Line of demarcation. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And, that, and yeah. I, get, I get that. And, I, you know, no offense to the basic assholes out there, but you're basic assholes, right? Like... <laughs> You're the motherfuckers that go to buy the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks yeah. the day it comes out, the, the day they re-release it. Yeah. You're the motherfuckers And you're posting getting, about it, too. Yeah, you're the motherfuckers, <laughs> like, yeah, posting on Instagram about getting the McRib the day it comes out. The McRib, not hey, good. It's not don't, good. Let's not, let's not oh, hate on the McRib. <laughs> We've got right. some McRib shade. Mm. <laughs> I'm I mean, just saying. I don't know. I like a good McRib, too. Uh, the re- I'm not, I'm, recomposed. I'm not. Li- I'm not steps. lining up to get it, but but that's what I'm saying though. Is like there are people that like they they mark out their whole year based on these like sort of special occasions, and if that's what it takes to get people back in the gym and taking care of themselves, great. Yeah, it's not for me though. Like if I know I need something needs to change in my life, I want to do it sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're yeah. not out here like shading on resets and having goals and, no. and it's just being motivated and like having yeah. the benchmarks for that. But like, it's hard know, to it's, yeah to do it right. Yeah. Like when you set that time, one of the things I come back to all the time about like trying to do better for yourself is to do something that's sustainable and manageable, mm-hmm. not this like tear the bandaid off, go all in for something, be obsessed with it for a week or two, and then fall off. Yeah, yeah. like. Real work, real success, real outcomes take dedication. It takes work. It's not something that's going to be solved in like you know a five point plan. We'll get there when we when it's that time of year. But it's also why I hate Valentine's Day. Mm. Like, that cannot we cannot like classify that as a holiday. It's awful. Oh yeah, it's bad. It's bad. We'll bring Fran on. Close to Valentine's Day. Well, yeah. You want to see curmudgeonly. Like, yeah. that's where I shine. That's I what, love it. That's, when that's we my do, lane. That's when we do the olds episode. Make everybody the happy. Olds. <laughs> the olds. Fuck everything. <laughs> A little fuck you and we love you from NDZ. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so the reason I bring this up partially is if the three of us individually were to make one new year's resolution for the team or for Ford Madison as a club, what would it be? Ooh, that's a great question for this season. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Going into this next season. Got it. 
You go first. I need to ponder this. Mine's easy. Stay healthy. Mm. The best that you can. Do what you need to do to get your body in battle-ready shape. Because this is going to be the longest season yep. that we've had. Calendar-wise. Calendar-wise. Further travel. Further travel. Mm-hmm. So do what you need to do to get your body in battle-test-ready shape. Because we need you to stay healthy. Because as we saw last year, we were humming along, doing great. And then the injuries hit us because of the long yep. season, travel, it is a long season. all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not faulting any of those guys. It's just it's nature, the game. nature yeah. of the beast. Yep. Nature of the beast. But my hope is that, and I think that they all know this too, is that, yeah, we got to do the things to keep your body in great shape. Well, so. and, you know, piggybacking off of that, I think it's important to build psychological stamina oh, and maintain strong mental health. And yep. I think a great way to do that, and I would love to see the entire organization do this, is really commit to youth development and relationships mm. with youth soccer in the community. And they've definitely started doing that, but I think yeah. um, there's a lot of, there are a lot more opportunities to bring um you know, young players in to work directly with the players and like what having more like purpose and a sense of community is yep. going to help our guys feel like, 100%. you know, they're yeah. motivated yeah, and, and, you know, there's more meaning to what they're doing. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Part of this uh, with what Fran is saying, I think I would do that sort of one better and just saying, I think the club needs to be more involved in community outreach in general this season. It's something that they did fairly decently in 2019 and it kind of fell off since then, but like showing up to different events with, without an agenda necessarily, Mm -hmm. right. Of just like trying to connect with people, whether it's yes, youth soccer is super important, but so, so are a lot of other things, right? Working in food pantries. I would love to see them like doing more of the habitat for humanity. humanity. Yes. Cleaning up parks, doing things that are like not necessarily just endearing them to the local community, but actively making them a part of it. Because I think we talked about this numerous times before, like the, the talent level between a lot of these teams from city to city is very marginal. It's fractional. Right? Mm-hmm. So like giving that little bit extra of a connection to the people that you're playing for, I feel like we'll get more performance out of our guys in general, help them feel like they are actually a part of what's going on around them instead of just like a paid person to be here. Right. And I got to make a plug for how great of an opportunity they have in 24 to increase voter engagement. You can do it in a nonpartisan way, but encouraging Mm -hmm. people to get out there and vote. I think the team has immense influence to start doing that early. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. That segues nicely into our next topic. Almost Fran. Actually, it doesn't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I move this stuff around uh, because I'm actually more interested in talking about Fran as a cook, as a chef. Um, because I feel like that was probably some of the best preparation that you've had for going into politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, how did you get into cooking in the first place? So 
I bounced around a little bit after high school and couldn't quite figure out where I fit and um, where I had passion. And hey, me too. <laughs> like many folks. Hey, yeah. hey um, me too. How about that? And I, and I needed a part-time job to help pay for school mm-hmm. and help pay for rent. And so I started at a restaurant and I started as a server. And uh, there was a day where... I remember one of the garmanger cooks or the the salad guys um, didn't show up and I had an opportunity to jump on the line. I mean, I had seen them do it so often and and we were pretty desperate for someone else to help in the kitchen that day. And before I knew it, I transitioned completely into the kitchen because I absolutely fell in love with the organized chaos, the Mm. camaraderie that's involved, the... uh, the leadership that's involved mm-hmm. in running a kitchen and being a part of a Absolutely. kitchen. Every single person actually from the line cook to the dishwasher needs to have some sense of leadership in order yeah. for a restaurant to run. Um, and so, yeah, from then on, I realized that this is what I want to do. And so I just showed up to a bunch of kitchens, asked me, asked them to take me on. I knew I couldn't afford culinary school. And so um, I had amazing mentors and people who just taught me on the job and saw that I was going to work hard. Um, and that's how I got into it. Mm. What was the first restaurant that you were working at as a server? Uh, well, my very first restaurant job was a place called Mystic Grill on the west side. That's mm-hmm. in the little strip mall that I, uh, I think there's Oliva still in there now mm-hmm. and uh, a couple other places. Um, but the place where I started cooking was La Brioche. Okay. Yeah, on university. So before that, like, did your parents cook with you? Like, you know, it's like, or did it, did cooking come to be something where it was like, you just kind of like taught yourself to like being immersed in that or did you have some baseline information yeah. of how to do things so my mom actually went back to school when i was eight or nine and my sister and i kind of had to fend for ourselves when she was coming home late from classes and stuff and mm-hmm. so we started having to cook for ourselves a bit um and then you know we we got cable maybe like middle school and i started Spoke. Yeah. Spoke I got too, yeah yeah and before that it was just pbs watching jack papan and and yeah. julia yeah. child and being like yeah. this is like at first it was just for purely entertainment i was like i like watching them right yeah. um and then i started buying cookbooks and i started watching more food network and people cooking on there um i did I started testing out recipes at home and cooking. Thanksgiving meal was like my first action into cooking for a large group and realizing how much that entails. And then um, I was my family was a part of Queen of Peace Church and I grew up Catholic. And there was an event where I had to cook for a um, hundred men who were unsheltered who was coming to mm-hmm. the church. And mm-hmm. so that's when I realized like how much more skill is involved mm-hmm. and you know, realized that this was something I might want to explore, but I had to give school a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That, so at the, the, when you, when you cooked for Queen of Peace, did that give you a little bit of a taste too of like what it was like to kind of like use food as a way to serve people as opposed to just, you know, pay your rent? I think food is just an amazing avenue to have people open up and tell their story. Food and is I love, think, right? Yeah, food is love, and yeah. the best food tells a story. Yeah, and, absolutely. Or evokes a memory. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's ultimately the, the best form of care. So that experience definitely helped me to realize that um, this is a way to help care for one another. Mm. Uh, but, you know, being... 
being a Korean kid and a daughter of Korean immigrants, like if I did at least try college, I was I was in I was in for <laughs> rough for rough shit. times. Yeah, <laughs> yep. It reminds me a little bit of like reading. Uh, I read David Chang's memoir, uh, Eat a Peach, and he talks about how his dad wanted him to be a pro golfer because he owned like the sporting goods store and like he was just like. He would basically well, he's talking about like going to he, he's like he wanted me to take over the store, but I also had to go to college. Oh yeah, my and buddy, my buddy Anthony <laughs> could tell the same thing. I mean, my buddy Anthony is he's the photographer for the Packers for the Journal Sentinel, and mm-hmm. so, but like if you ask him, like that's a great job, right? Yeah. In the locker room with him every you know takes us some amazing photos. If you ask his parents, I'm like, you know, it's like, oh, you, you know, you need to go back to school, yeah. you know, you know, and, be, and stop, 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 you know, stop being a kid. And he's just like, I'm great, you guys, <laughs> like, <laughs> making good money. It's like, 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 I'm doing yeah. a lot better than you ever were. And, yeah. and, and like, he's like paint, like he paid off like all of their right. debts and everything. But still, it's like, it's right. It's it's that, you know. So I gotta ask, like, you talk about what led to that sort of step up that moment of getting serious making food cooking like because you obviously enjoyed it mm-hmm. like you you realized when you were eight or nine or whatever you like that you enjoy doing this i mean because like, you moved from julia child to like watching like you yeah. know, food network and everything like that so i mean Big shout out to Chef Tori Miller. He yeah. took a chance on me and good. helped me open Gray's. Like, I helped him open Gray's restaurant. Yeah. And I think that was my first endeavor into, like, seeing how, a, like, a, a very, a higher end classical French kitchen was run because yeah. I would peek in and what was going down in La Toile. Um, you know, the stations were very official, even at Gray's and the, Chef de Cuisine at the time was brought in from New York. And mm. um, a part of me wanted to change that culture a little bit, but yeah. I knew I had to learn more about it in order to do it. So that's what really made me commit to the industry. And then I had a chance to go across the street and open another restaurant under Chef Justin Carlisle called 43 North. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that basically I, I worked my way up from line cook to pastry chef and then the executive chefs kept leaving and the owner who is now my business partner Shinji told me like you know this job is yours I think this job has always been yours um and that's when I became the executive chef that's pretty cool to hear that from somebody as sort of established as Shinji um anyone who has eaten around Madison like has had his food Mm -hmm. probably at some point yeah oh absolutely um, and same with Chef Tori. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think um, he also respected me because I constantly challenged him and pushed back and was argumentative yeah. and it was difficult to, uh, like, I'm stubborn as hell. <laughs> Do you find that that's like, I find that any kind of sort of creative endeavor, though, that that iron sharpening iron is important to that process. Do, have you found that? Yeah, I think, you know, when I say I'm stubborn, I would say I'm stubborn in that I want everyone to succeed. Mm. And I'm stubborn in that I want folks to, like, the best sign of leadership, and I think I might have said this before, is being able to foster leadership around you. Yeah, Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I felt like there was a toxicity and kind of, you know, more of that is coming out now, but, like, in the 2000s, like, that was, you thought the grind was the only way to, to 
you know, to move up or to and to survive in the industry. So maybe that that leads to another question that I had here. It was like segways you know, beautifully. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> it's like I had a lot of I, I've had a good amount of friends that came up in the culinary sort of scene in Madison. We could probably talk about some of that after we're done recording, uh, but some of my friends were coming up. It always seemed like, and it was something that turned me off to it pretty intensely was this sort of territorial bullshit boys club. Um, was that your experience as well or has, has it changed? I think mine was a hybrid of strict brigade system, right? And a hierarchy is the only way to run a kitchen mm -hmm. to um, because Justin at 43 North knew a lot of his cooks and had deep personal relationships with them. Yeah. Um, I could sense that he wanted order, but he also wanted people to feel like they belong there. Um, and I think that for a lot of places and a lot of chefs, um, there was this false, real like dichotomy of in order to be viewed as successful by your community, you needed to be in the like the spotlight. And so then that's, I think, what contributes to the territorialism and right. the like, you can't poach my line cooks and who's being featured where. And it just a lot of those guys probably had a really amazing women line cooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically yeah. helping to make them look real good. Um, yeah. But I would say the culture has somewhat shifted in sure. the last 10 years in Madison. But there were definitely times, even with like the Madison Area Chefs Network, um, where the reason we felt like we had to have Culinary Ladies Collective was that we, we just there wasn't a lot of collaboration and I think there yeah. were efforts made. Um, but in the end it became more of a let's host events instead of how do we support one another in this industry? Yeah. And it took something like COVID for folks to really come together. So we'd have some fun now. Yeah. So, all right. With that, we need your opinions. I think we'll go around the table here. We'll do, we'll start with this. Best in the Madison area. We'll start with brunch. Now, the question I have, because I've heard this from from some of my chef friends, do chefs hate brunch? I think... Because a lot of, because it's... I think there's a, there's a small minority that love it. Like, yeah. I started... You know, that's where I got to really lead was being the expo on Sunday brunch at La right. Rioche. And I love that, you know. Right. And But I know that serving at brunch, I couldn't do. Yeah. Just like it's, the it's tips horrible. are shittier. Yeah, it's there's, It's messier. Yeah. Everyone's got like four beverages. Right. And people are crankier in the mornings. And so I, I, I really struggled to serve at brunch. But I, I don't mind uh, brunch service in kitchen. Okay. That was actually one of the things my grandfather told me, and I remember. is like when you go out, you always tip heavy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Because the food is cheaper. Yeah. And it's exactly what Fran was saying, is that, like, the clientele is not great. Well, then, it's like, no one fucking wants to... Like, people that work in the service industry generally are probably, like, most of... The, I'm guessing there's bleed over between the previous night... Yeah. And yeah. going back for well, how many or five times have we been at Mickey's just fucking 
just like you know, yeah. it's just, just like <laughs> looking sideways night, at each other like the night the after fuck, the last man? housewarming event fucking a dude oh, i got home at like 3 30 in the morning and then we, we were up at 8 30 going back over to fucking mickey's oh jesus christ all Idiot. right well let's get into it friend yeah. best brunch go ahead I think we have to separate them into greasy spoon or diner and yes, a little higher end. So Done. my, we'll so start with, my, yeah. Start, start with higher end first. I got to give it to sardine. Mm-hmm. Um, sardine for for yep. the fancier brunch. Yep. That's where I'm gonna go and get a salty dog with a floater of Campari, and I could potentially do oysters if I'm really feeling it. I um, think I think we're around yeah. the table in agree- agreement yeah. on this. So, um, yeah, we can start. We can. We'll go with that. And then my Greasy Spooner Diner would definitely be Cottage Cafe on okay. Atlas. Okay. Also a good one. Andrew, yeah. Andrew. You know what I'm going with. Yeah. It's Mickey's Tavern. Yeah. Part of that is because literally if I go too long in between having their to- tofu scramble, I have dreams about it. <laughs> I don't have food dreams this about is- anything else. And it's a real problem when it happens on like a Wednesday. And I know they're not serving it again. You gotta wait for four more fucking days. Fuck. <laughs> no, I'm Mickey's is a gem for sure. Uh, uh, Mickey's is up there for me as well. Um, I also really enjoy Marigold. Yeah. And their mm-hmm. and, and their brunch um, because it reminds me of you know those inner city places where you would just go and line up and then you, right. you get your food. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you you get your food and you you know and then they shuffle you out as soon as they can because yeah. you know you get a line behind you. Cottage and Cafe is a shout though. Holy shit, that's a good like, one. I haven't thought about that. In Another years. one that I really like that you know doesn't get enough is was always the Curve. Oh yeah, oh, uh, you know I love yeah. the ori- one of the original Greasy Spoons right. in town. Yeah. yeah, I love the Curve. They had some of the best French toast that you know I've ever had. So. And also, brunch is different from breakfast service. Like, I have Correct. other spots that I need to go for breakfast during the week mm. if I'm going to get breakfast True. out. True. Yes. True. I do enjoy level five donuts is, like, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Being, a, being, a, being a vegan is not easy when it comes to breakfast stuff because there are so many places that have, like, a tofu breakfast scramble, stuff. but it's not great. Breakfast stuff? Yeah. Just breakfast stuff? Well, you know. Lots of things. I will say Ogden's <laughs> and Short Stack do a good yeah. job with yeah. vegan dishes. Yeah. Okay, sure let's, move, let's move on to the next one. All right. Um, best beer bar in town. Now, I, I suppose we can put in some qualifications here. Like This could be a brewery. could be like a tap room at a brewery. My usual sort of thought when I think beer bar is like, a brasserie v kind of place that has no, a lot of different rest stuff. in peace yeah. yeah um i gotta go with delta yeah I love delta. just like their entire philosophy over there. Yeah, yeah their philosophy and just yeah. their commitment to community and sustainability it's like they it, it's not performative at all they show up every single time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. delta's great about you It's tough. Like I, I don't know that I have like a favorite beer bar. I do. I've only been to Garth's once. I do like that place. Um, honestly, Malt House probably is still my favorite. Though. Yeah, that's a good. One. And it's only because of the, the level of selection, the weird, rare stuff that they have there, and yeah. 
the fact that they take on guest taps that they don't charge for like local brewers that they just give their beer away that's fucking cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i would say my two are carbon four i like a lot of yeah. what, like a lot of what carbon four does um and barley pop and i'm saying barley pop because i've taken a lot of beer out of there um, yeah. after after winning trivia and it's so, <laughs> and it's brandon dorman too like yeah. love love brandon and, yeah. and they Brandon always... cut my hair a year, like years and years ago. Came out to housewarming part one. Told me my current haircut is the one I should keep forever, and that I should never let uh, Danny move away no. ever. Danny He's like, boy, pay Dan- him whatever you need to. Keep Danny boy's doing here. you good. Yeah, and I think Barley Pop is still dog friendly, right? Mm-hmm. They're one of the few. Yeah. yeah, you get you get the dogs in there. That's when my friend used to bring his. Brandon's always had his pit, corgi Zeke. Pit bulls. Yeah. His corgi Zeke in who would just bark at everybody. And so if the, I get a second, I got a shout out working draft as well. Mm. Yeah. Good They're place. great too. Yep. They've been really good to the soccer community in Madison as well. And Absolutely. to the flock over the years. So yeah, they're they're great. Um so the the sort of second set of questions on this, the opinion based stuff is what is your favorite spice to use? And what is your favorite dish to cook? Ooh. So my favorite spice is probably kochukaru, which is a uh, Korean yeah. Yeah. Um, dry chili. Yeah. And my favorite dish to cook, and it's one that I'm still perfecting, is soft scrambled eggs with pecorino cheese Mm -hmm. and cracked black pepper and i think that it's one of those where it's really hard for for cooks to get it right and i'm pretty sure if i ever saw it come in on a brunch line like i would just be horrified um (laughs) and would never want to be on egg station if that were on the menu but it's yeah it's one of those like velvety amazing things um where like i'm you know again amazed at what an egg does and how it can taste and then with the cheese and cracked pepper it's it's yeah it's phenomenal when it's done right you're speaking hunk of a month's language right now oh yeah our our good friend zach is all about the scrambles he loves eggs in general yes that is his favorite food uh, he will willingly admit that. <laughs> a, what is your... Okay, so a slight aside. What is the craziest egg order that you've ever had? Um, Like peculiar, like very specific. I have once had someone order six eggs on their ramen. Was it Zach? <laughs> Zach, if you're listening, yeah. if you were that person, you damn, fucking weirdo. <laughs> um, but like, I haven't worked the line in a little bit. Um, but it, like, I still, you know, check in at the shop, and I'm there to fill gaps. But there were like a couple times now this past week over the last couple weeks where we are seeing the six egg come back oh, so shit. yeah it's all the, cr- the crossfitters are back they're like let me get that ramen but with them six eggs in there extra protein yeah so i'm gonna be flipping some truck tires later yeah strangely though cross uh the crossfitters have been going more keto yeah. and like silliness yeah so, so the, 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 noodle, the noodles are out 
How are you going to build your muscles up without those They're carbs? Mor- Dude, we've discussed this. They're <laughs> morons. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like my joke. It's like, how can you tell if someone does CrossFit? They'll tell you. Just just wait. They'll tell you. <laughs> you know, the intro... I, we joke about this fairly frequently. What was that Mitch Hedberg joke where he talks about how to order your eggs? Because I always thought the funniest way to oh, order your dude. eggs is somebody asks you is to say deviled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I would just tell that person to leave. I was at a restaurant one time. Oh, yeah. It's hard boiled. It's hard boiled. And they came up and they asked me, how do you want your, want your eggs? <laughs> it's hard boiled. Yeah. yeah. Deviled is one step further, though. Yeah. If somebody ever asks you that and you say deviled, you are a bastard. <laughs> I looked um, at him and I said, hard boiled. <laughs> so you go, wait a while. And then they asked me to leave. <laughs> uh, um, I love, okay. I love Mitch. Mitch Hegberg. Gone too soon. Um, so, all right. Transitioning. Let's talk about your public service record. Uh, not official record, maybe, but... We'd be here, we talked about this last time, right? Like, we'd be here for hours if we went into everything on on your resume. So we'll just touch on some of them. So you serve on the board of the Kennedy Heights Community Center. Mm-hmm. Um, that is near a little bit near and dear to me. I had a lot of friends that lived in Kennedy Heights when I was growing up. I lived on the north side, right be- behind where the Quick Trip is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Grant, I see you're raising your hand. I have a question. So yeah. is, is the Kennedy Heights one... The one by, by Wright Street off by MATC. No, no, it's um off of like you pass Sherman, uh on um oh my God what's that highway? Sure, one thirteen. One thirteen. Okay. Uh, so Kennedy Heights is actually closer to like School Road. Okay. I forget you know what the where, name like, of Troy the... Gardens is. Yeah, yeah, Troy? it's closer to there. Yeah. Okay, got it. But a, a lot of the kids that I knew when I was growing up were either Hmong or Cambodian or or black. And that was like the primary, I was like, I've never seen, when I was a kid, I remember thinking that there are not a whole lot of neighborhoods in Madison where there are Asian kids and black kids like growing up together, living together. And I always thought that was the coolest thing because like the, the biggest Tupac fan that I met growing up, uh, his name, he went by, it was King. But his real, like his real first name was Putpa, P H O U T P H A. He had a fucking badass Nissan, fucking Pathfinder. Always shared cigarettes and a little bit of a joint with me whenever I'd be, you know, on down on my luck as you are when you're in high school. It's a good friend to have. High school ages. (laughs) I'm I'm already saying like I like this guy. But he was the one that really was like, Andrew, do you know what this Tupac song is about? And I'd be like, no, why don't you teach me? And he would fucking lay it all out for me. Anyway, that was my Kennedy Heights experience growing up was kids that grew up kind of hard scrabble, but they weren't from like a specific sort of ethnic background. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah, the community is still predominantly Hmong or other Southeast Asian nationalities and black. Um I first got involved during in 2020 when um, we were working on Cook It Forward and Kennedy Heights was one of our clients. So we would be uh, bringing um, packed meals from different restaurants in town over there. And I got to know the then executive director and she really wanted um, some more like some 
diverse perspectives. Like yeah. I knew I wasn't the diversity hire, but I needed to be someone who it, they she wanted someone who was more involved in the community and could bring kind of that, you know, working class fire. And so um, that's when I joined the board. And I think it's been. Um, I've been wanting to get to know the residents more, but what's been great is seeing an actual resident on the board now. Yeah. So we have resident representation. Um, we're working on um, the the ED now is fantastic. Her name's Elsa, and she's um, really developing programming there, partnerships with M- like the school district, um, and we're you know it's it's just it's one of those places where. Uh, the culture is, is, you know, people are seeing a lot of struggle, but it is very much more defined by their resilience. That's great. So we talked last time um, about, well, primarily I was trying to leverage your uh, political status into us having a permanent guest list spot at Lola's. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? Uh, no, I'm not we haven't great. Go, we haven't gone yet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, haven't, I, we haven't yeah, tried it out yet. I didn't name drop at all the last time we were there. Maybe I should have. But, um, no, actually, our, our, our friend Chris is playing a, a 45 set there um, on the 20th of January. I'm going to be going back to back with him on that, um, playing a bunch of uh, old seven inch records, but um, no, they're they're a great example of a local business that has kind of come up well. But I wanted to talk a little bit about like wh- wh- what was the sort of genesis of you getting involved as a state legislator? Like, it's you're the rep for much of the isthmus, right? So like. Mm-hmm. By when I say much of the isthmus, I, you know, university to like Emerson and Carpenter Ridgeway. So yeah, near. I would say that's the near west to the far east and parts of the north side. What got you involved in wanting to do that? Um, COVID played a huge part. I think COVID is where I saw um, really the Republicans in the state legislature and you know, failed leadership there and feeling that. Um, And then recognizing that, you know, I always knew the system wasn't designed for folks like me and and people in the service industry, but trying to help our staff navigate an unemployment system, um, an employment insurance system that's supposed to be benefits for and to help people transition from one job to another was really designed only for the employer. And I knew that that was like something the Republicans had to do with. And Mm -hmm. so um, COVID started my advocacy and my advocacy led to, um, you know, folks seeing me uh, and reading my tweets, mouthing off at Robin Voss and really saying that this is a failure of leadership. He's a prick, by the way. He absolutely is. (laughs) He's fun to mouth off to. Um, He's such a shithead. Yeah, but it was like organizing with other chefs. I was friends with the guy that poured the beer in his head. Nice. Oh, my God. He, yeah. The thing is, what's terrifying about him is he is... I mean, he's a mastermind. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's not dumb. No, and, and his brilliance is what's terrifying, but mm-hmm. it's also what makes him mm-hmm. so fucking evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like he's like Lex, Lex Luthor. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. But it was like I I think um, you know I I hadn't thought of what I was doing in the community yeah. prior to 2020 as organizing, but then when it came to advocacy for small. 
uh, restaurants, um, getting involved with the Inde- Independent Restaurant Coalition, um, just trying to, you know, elevate the people in the community that were actually taking care of one another and seeing them not being recognized by government leaders. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, then one of us needs to be a government leader. Yeah. Um, and I had... I also had folks pushing me to do it. Like they say, you got to ask a woman seven times, eight times to run for office. And that was absolutely true with me too. Yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting thing. You mentioned this too, because you got in at a time where arguably it was one of the most uphill battles you could have. Mm-hmm. Did you meet like immediate resistance? Um, I think the folks who were running at the time weren't thrilled <laughs> yeah. that a seventh person was getting in the race. Uh, but to be why honest... Th- why do you think that is, though? Do you think it's just like a territorialism thing? Do you think it's like not, you know... There would be more split votes and it would be closer. Sure. Um, but honestly, I the community ro- response was shocking yeah. i had pe- i didn't realize that so many of the people who frequent my restaurant were working in the capital i just yeah. you know um i You're guess right i didn't there. yeah i didn't get to know them better or they just didn't want to tell me what they did right. um or were lobbyists for the capital yeah. right um and so people reached out right away wanting to help i mm. saw like i knew that what i needed to um campaign on was community care because i felt it and i saw it and it yeah. happened when i declared that i was running for office what was your sort of like I guess in a, in a way to make this super concise, what were your main sort of campaign points when you ran? Like from, yeah. or were there things that you didn't deviate from, from the jump? I came in knowing that I needed to share my identity. And yeah. I'm a mom, I'm a service industry worker, and I'm a community organizer. And that all three of those were something that someone in the community could relate to me on and I needed to be relatable I needed to be human and I needed to embody some sort of change um, for people to believe in love that back in I think 2021 you put out these bandanas that were for fair maps it was to raise money I think for your campaign gerrymandanas I I wore one of those like the entire season like at Ford Madison games um, primarily, I think, uh, hitting the, the, the jam block to keep our, our drummers uh, on beat, but also on the capo stand and back back when I was still doing that shit all the time. I think that man, the Jerry Madonna is how we first connected Probably, too, yeah. online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like, I really, I, I love the, I mean, it was, it was a really good piece of, sort of merch and marketing and in general, like the design behind it was like a, the state of Wisconsin, but it was puzzle pieces. And almost all the puzzle pieces were like H-shaped, which, you know, kudos to whoever did the design for that. Pretty great. Um, but this this idea, or not this idea, it's a very fucking real thing, gerrymandering, controlling the maps so that people of a certain income class or stature a lot of this based on redlining if you don't know what redlining is and you're listening to this fucking go do your research 
read up on redlining. There's a reason why all the Italian restaurants uh, for a long time in Madison were on that sort of end of Regent Street neighborhood. Greenbush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's also, I mean, it, fuck, dude, like the, the Rococo family couldn't have made their fucking nut in this, in Southern Wisconsin without coming up through those neighborhoods. Right. Like it's just, and they're not actually the Rococo family, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, redlining definitely exists in Madison. Segregation 100%. still exists in Madison, but I think the most glaring example of why, um, you know, systemic it's racism outside. is absolutely a thing is you look at Milwaukee and it's the most segregated yes. city in the country, yep. mm-hmm. and redlining plays a huge uh, uh, part in that. Yep. So I think from that perspective, there was a recent vote mm-hmm. that was a kind of a, a, a I don't want to undersell it really here, but like it was, it was a massive milestone for our state legislature for democracy in Wisconsin, but basically uh, voted for redrawing of district lines. So the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court ruled that the current maps are unconstitutional, that they don't Mm. follow contiguity, because if you look closely at our current maps, you got districts that literally have floating islands inside Mm -hmm. so that there isn't one continuous line. Yeah, it's wild. and then uh, the other part that it's uh, violates separation of powers because um, you know the legislature overturned maps and then the Supreme Court uh, went to the state Supreme Court and so it was on those two premises that the state Supreme Court ruled um, basically setting uh, a pathway to fair maps um, and what's going to happen now is that there are going to be a bunch of maps that get sent to the state Supreme Court. Um, then they will decide, hopefully by March 15th, after consulting with experts and having folks really, you know, lay out which ones are fair. There's a parallel track, which most likely won't happen, where the legislature draws the maps, and if it gets approved in the legislature, Mm. um, and the governor signs it, which most likely, because we already stated Robin Voss is a prick, he's not going to be out here uh, showing uh, a map that's actually representative and has fair districts. Right. And, you know, Tony being a good governor and a good Democrat would strike that shit down and veto yeah. it. Um, so most likely what will happen is the state Supreme Court will rule on maps um, that will then be, um, it'll be decided by March 15th so that they can be mm. um, ready for uh, candidates to run in 2024. Cool. Robin Voss going to show up with that fucking map of Narnia and shit. <laughs> King Edmund yeah. in this area. This is the disputed King zone. King Peter in this area. <laughs> the disputed zone. Um, what's kind of crazy, though, and, and I got this answer today, was that, you know, the current maps, because they were struck down and um, ruled unconstitutional, like they don't exist right now. Oh, so like once we get new So there's no voting. Yeah. Yeah. So like if we if I if my district lines change after March fifteenth, um, like I will have my current constituents that I can I can still serve from my current map and I can also serve the ones from my new Your map. New map. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, as long as I'm still, you know, serving the folks who are in the same like district number as me. So I guess my question is, if I'm in your constituency, what are you going to do for me as far as a plant-based ramen dish? <laughs> we have a vegan ramen. Interesting. Yes. We oh, can also mm. make that vegan ramen gluten-free. And oh, it's really yeah. delicious. You can also have the vegan ramen spicy. I'm gonna go so there. we give our vegans options. Hell yeah. As I always say, it's just your world. We're just painting. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. You know, this is the one time that I found that to be true, Grant. Uh, <laughs> so, Fran... <clears throat> I just got my letter from Bronta recently about Rooted. Uh, how did you get involved with Rooted? So they invited me to do one of their fantastic kind of chef series dinners at Troy Farm, where you actually get to um, cook or you know bring foods out to the farm and uh, provide a meal or sell a meal um, to the folks who are coming up to. Uh, pick up their CSAs or mm-hmm. enjoying the gardens. Um, so that's where I first worked with Rooted. And then, um, you know, they asked me back to participate in other programs. Mm. And then um, I realized that there was a lot of room for Rooted and all of the programs there co- to collaborate with um, other parts of the community that I was involved in. So they asked me to join their board. Um, and now I'm a really, really proud board member that gets to work with the phenomenal staff. And I know the resume talks about me being on boards, but I'm, I'm really there to be a voice and a representative to the mm-hmm. amazing staff that makes all right. of these organizations run. Yeah. I think there's, there's a difference between people that work in public service that are local, actually invested in the local community, um, <clears throat> that from like people that are on boards because it was part of like an acquisition or, or whatever it might be. Um, the main reason I asked about that because I was like, wait, I know Fran was involved in this and I just got an email about it, so I should ask about it. But I love the, f- like the flock actually has a, uh, a garden over at Troy Gardens as well that we do. We drop off stuff for the Goodman Center That's uh, awesome. every weekend. We've been doing that the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, we Shout now have to like, Alexa. Yeah, we have two and a half plots over there. Yep. And like, yeah, uh, our friend Alexa Nichols, uh, administrates that every year and i just remember the last time i dropped stuff off while alexa was out of town over at goodman and the lady that i dropped it, it was on a saturday she's like i don't know what i'm gonna do with all these tomatoes but we'll find someplace and i was just like yeah they're really cherries really good in a bright tomato sauce just add a little yeah. sugar otherwise all that shit's gonna be too bright <laughs> sauce Make sauce. and they have so many amazing programs outside of just the gardens too their involvement yeah. with youth their excite like the way that they um help show that not only can urban agriculture be a great way to educate kids on where food comes from but that's really where sustainability work happens Absolutely. is educating and really helping our youth explore how great it can be to know where your food comes from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, let's transition into our top 10 list. Yes. Friend, we're going to have to have you back. So we'll, we'll talk with you more about whatever it is that you're up to, whether it be striking down the nefarious evil powers that be on the right side of the state legislature. We will have you back. Hopefully, closer the, the closer we get to the start of the season. But 
as we get going into the sort of wrapping up our show for for this particular episode so we are going to get into our top 10 lists of 2023 mitch gave his last week yep so the idea here is i'm going to list out all the qualifications for these and then we'll just get right into it i'm going to go first to set the tone because i'm going to try to be brief and then we'll have frango so the idea is you have 10 total points Brief explanation under one minute for all but your number one. And you take up to three minutes for that one. Can be anything, art or music or literature or visual. They can be songs, albums, TV, film, YouTube, or other creative channels. The idea is to answer the question, what creative forces shaped your year? I'm going to go first. Let's pull up my list here. So... Uh, the, all but the last one are kind of like they don't really have a, a, a sort of order in the list. Okay. But well, I'm gonna go from you know bottom to top. The first is crosses. Good night. God bless you. I love you. Delete, which is Chino from the Deftones, his sort of like quasi electronic band uh, with Sean Lopez from Tin Fed. It's amazing. Grant and I are going to see them play in Kansas City, of all places, in February. Same with my bro. Yeah, it should be a great time. Uh, number nine, Cleo Soul. I'm cheating a little bit on this because she had two albums out this year, Heaven and Gold. Very much on the religious side of things, but if you're not like anti-religion, uh, anti-Christianity, uh, you'll love it. I grew up in that scene. Uh, I'm still kind of feeling a certain way about it. Not great, but... They're both fucking incredible and forever living originals. They are in flow produced. They're amazing. Eight, Got Street Park on the inside. This is an LP from another London-based band uh, who has a lot of guest uh, vocalists on it. Incredible, incredible long play. Go find it. Number seven, a book called I Wish to Say Lovely Things by my favorite author, Adam Nade. He's great. That's G-N-A-D-E. He's so good. Um, This book is parsing through what it is to be a human being with feeling feelings about just about anything in life, whether it's a romantic partner or friends or where life finds you. It is incredible. Uh, Number six, Jalen Nganda, Come Around and Love Me. just fucking listen to the record like it's so good i may talk about this record yeah yeah i'm i'll let grant talk a little bit more about that one but that that album easily could be in most people's top five this year uh number five for me king king canyon uh self-titled record which is a super group of instrumental musicians i think there's only one song on there that actually has lyrics on it it's fantastic uh check it out uh, number four, uh, this is a show. So I'm going to give a little shout out to my buddy Steve and his band Screaming Sinson and the Ponds who made their triumphant return to the stage this year after I think it was at least a decade. Of at not, least. <clears throat> yeah, not playing shows together. But they played at the <sighs> high noon. That was that was like a, a close second. My favorite show this year that I attended was Jungle at the Sylvie. Amazing, amazing show. Uh, 
I'm even more jealous that we didn't go down to house calls the night the, was the night after mm-hmm. where they played a fucking live set for like three hours for like 500 people. Yeah. Uh, wish I would have been there for that. Should have anyway, called Drew Connor. Yeah. Shout out Drew Connor, former Ford Madison player who uh, grew up in the Chicago house music scene. Uh, who actually helps put on house part or uh, house calls down in Chicago? Uh, number three, a film, Godzilla minus one. You are not gonna find a. F- I, I will argue it's anyone on this. So good. It's so it's fucking so good. good. Literally, it's only been out a month and a half, and they're already re-releasing it in a monochrome version. In Don't Japan. see that. It's so goddamn good. Go see it. It's a period piece. Set takes place right after World War II. Tokyo is still recovering after World War II bombings, and Godzilla shows up. And it's also done by the original Godzilla Studios. Toho Studios. Thank you. Uh, number two, Yusuf Day's black classical music is probably going to be uh, a spin on my record player for a lot of years. Uh, it's a no-skip record. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. Number one. And this probably comes a little bit as a surprise for a lot of people who know the normal music that I listen to. The band Drain, uh, the album's Living Proof. Uh, the album's only 25 minutes long. It's a hardcore band from Santa Cruz, California. Um, this would not have been my sort of normal pick for an album of the year for me, except for literally every fucking song on there. Uh, has lyrics that resonates with where I've been at this year, especially in the latter half of the year. This has been a weird year for a lot of people. I feel like a good amount of my friends have had a really difficult time finding peace this year in their relationships, in their work, in whatever it is they're putting themselves to creatively. This album resonates with me on every single fucking level as far as interpersonal relationships, creativity, and just being a good person. Uh, it's a great, great short little album, and that's my number one for 2023. You Fran, go. you are up. Well, I didn't follow the assignment. Well, you, you can just do what you need <laughs> to do. Um, but I will say that I am a massive Dolly Parton fan, and she's one of the few people that I would consider um, an icon and someone that I would absolutely you know, have my last meal with. Um, would you be starstruck if you met Dolly? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I would lose okay. my fucking mind. I would not be able to hold it together. And I can I can I can probably like put on a good face for like, most like, anyone. Like, like you said, yeah. 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 Um like but me, me, for me, not me, for right? not for yeah. Dolly. I just I, I think yeah, I think people underestimate just like how monumental of a figure she mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um one of the most prolific songwriters of, of our time, you know, have contributed to almost five thousand songs and written three thousand of over three thousand of those on her own. Um and this year she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and she felt like she needed to release a Rock and Roll album That's to so really good. like justify it and That's it's amazing. rad. It's so um, good. Yeah. It's so good and she is one of those, you know, those philanthropists as well who has the type of like economic, social and cultural impact that's like you can't quantify. So like still for every time people play Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, part of that goes back to supporting 
black business and economic mm-hmm. development. She wrote that song. Yeah. yeah, and and she wrote that song, and you know, Dollywood pretty much supports an entire city. You know, yeah. just with employment and how it helps with development and their tourism, um, and then the Imagination Library, and she. Let's be honest, she bankrolled Moderna, so like helped uh-huh. yeah. with, you know, curing COVID. Not yeah. curing, but like the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, She's my kind of she is absolutely a queen. She's um a queen. and she could probably single handedly, if she came out and did what I hope she might do in terms of uh, encouraging voter turnout could really make a huge impact in 24. Um, but she's also like the least political person that mm-hmm. has the ability to bring all different political ideologies together um, in, really in love of, of her and her music. Uh, so Dolly Parton's where I find comfort. It's where I find creativity. It's what you know who I listen to when I don't feel like I've got enough curiosity going through. So I have my top ten Dolly Parton song list. Coming in at number ten it is, is with it. Yeah, this is, this is great. Um, this number is great. ten is My Tennessee Mountain Home, which especially for anyone who is the child of an immigrant or an immigrant, this is an absolutely must listen to. Um, is it you know makes you realize that you everyone is has capacity to build home wherever they need to, um, and I think that is abs- it's a message that we all need. Uh, two doors down, I mean, mm. just it's a it's a bop. Like it's it always makes me feel better. Um, Tomorrow is forever is when I'm like extra in my feels. It's a great song. And just like you know, kind of thinking about past relationships and shit like that, or something that I'm not able to get over at that time. I listen to that song. Um, Working girl speaks for itself. Like I think one of the best kind of like feminist anthems. Mm. Uh, that movie was ahead of its time too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to is is one i've been listening to lately because i've ended a couple relationships and so it's it's one that i've relied on to just you know help give me some perspective and lets me reflect um yellow roses i think is just again one of those legendary you can play for ever and ever uh more where that came from is what I put on when I had a rough day of maybe having some difficult conversations at work, um, had Republicans be just extra uh, that never challenging. Happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I deal with just straight up misogyny and racism, mm. which kind of happens on the daily with them sometimes, um, I come back and listen to that song and like remind myself that just I'm so much fucking better than them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh Number three is Wildflowers, so it's one mm. of my favorite, uh, the ones that she collabs with. Um, that trio is just iconic. Number two is Little Sparrow, again, another one for my feels uh, that helps me just kind of come out of more, like, when I'm hitting some, like, deep depressive times. And that's, then, like a late, that's like a late-era yeah. Dolly song, yeah. Yeah. too. That's a, a newer one. It's right? 2001, yeah. which, yeah. like, most of the ones I've listed are from, like, early 70s, right, yeah. when she's done with mm-hmm. Porter Wagner. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then coming in at number one uh, is Light of a Clear Brew Morning. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that I think... Um, I've listened to the most this past year just to because it's been a tough one I think like mentally and physically one of the toughest years that I've had to endure and this is one of those songs that reminds me that I'm capable of you know finding light the next day 
that's thank you Fran and I'm gonna need you to send that to me so that we can post like a playlist uh, for folks to uh, Fran's top 10 Dolly Parton songs I especially it seems like and it, you know before you get into yours Grant it seems like there's a sort of running theme here of like this this year has not been super easy for folks no mm. no um, no and it, you know, it's weird because we've had some rough years recently. I think that that's, that's just kind of the... But we didn't deal with our shit in those years. Yeah, right. very And true. like nobody has time to process. Nobody has, right. have, has had time to grieve. Nobody has yeah. had time to like understand what this... Just had to keep moving on. Yeah. What yeah. is this type of despair? And I think folks aren't okay. And there's we're not like collectively addressing that. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, Grant. So I'll, I'll break this up. I'll start with my top five shows that I went to, and mm-hmm. then I'll do my top five albums. Okay. Uh, number five, Screaming Sinson in the Ponds. Mm. I mean, Gotta give it to him. I mean, come on. I mean, even got a chance to have a little mosh pit action at yeah, the end. Yeah, you did. And, and as Zach said to you, he goes, look at him. Just smiling away as he's smashing into people. <laughs> you know, you so, really, you really did have a smile on your face. Yeah, you know, it was great. But I think the best thing about it was it was great to see Steve, our good buddy Steve, up there just yeah. doing this thing. So that was that was my uh, fifth best show. Number four uh, was a show we went to in Milwaukee, uh, Mandalucha. Oh yeah. Um, it wasn't a music show. I mean, it kind of was. All I'm gonna say is you get. Lucha Libre, Luca Libre wrestling. Yep. When they're not wrestling, there's a punk band playing. Yep. And when that punk band is not playing, you're having a burlesque show. Yeah. There's a lot there for a lot of people. I mean, it, you can't get better than that. Yeah, and it's a local promotion too, right. which is and great. And it's in Turner Hall, which is yeah. one of my favorite venues in Milwaukee. So That one was. We'll be at... Uh, I forget. What's the place we're going? Uh, the Cooperage. The Cooperage in the 5th. Yeah, we'll be the at the Cooperage a uh, week um, from Friday. January 5th. So yeah, we'll one of my favorite spots in Milwaukee. That was yeah. great. Absolutely. So, but it's just great. I mean, in, in the crowd was great. Uh, yeah, awesome. Um, number three, uh, the Doobie Brothers at... Uh, Bree Stevens Field. Bree Stevens Field. Um, has been, as you know, a goal of mine to see the king of the yacht, uh, Michael McDonald, <laughs> live and in person um, before I pass away. And I can honestly job done. I just say job done, and he was fantastic. Yeah, still got it. Um, our whole group grooving away to uh, what a fool believes was pretty awesome. And by whole group, you mean me? Uh, video taking video of you and Mitch, Mitch and Marino. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so yes, yes, the whole group, the whole group. So that's great. Uh, number two show, I went to Dead and Company at uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, with Jimmy K, uh, Keith Panawaz, and uh, Flamingos, David Magnus. Um, as a, someone who's a deadhead, being able to kind of see them on, a, on their last little run that they go on, and they were fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic. So, um, Love that you got to see with those guys, too. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, four deadheads couldn't see a show. It was great. And so I'll save my number one show because it kind of ties in with my number one album. So... We'll move on to albums now. Uh, my number five album is, you brought it up, Jalen and Gonda, uh, Come Around and Love Me. Daptone, R&B, yeah. Soul, 
how can you go wrong? Yeah. I mean, the dude's doing it right. And he was kind of more of like a bluesy funk artist before. Yeah. And this so is a straight this, up soul this was music. a straight up soul album that he did. In fact, he even recorded it in mono, which is even which is pretty cool too for the vinyl versions. So, uh, number four is Say Shishi, uh, Silver. from their album Silver. Um, I think off of the amazing Coal Mine album or a label in out of Ohio. If you don't know anything about Coal Mine, you should look into that. Um, they are dominating the soul and funk industry right now, and so. I think the description for Say Shishi was a discodelic blast of soul and funk. That's perfect. Right there. What can I say? And it's three ladies that front the band. Yep. And just sing their asses off. And they have this awesome band behind them. It's awesome. Uh, number three is Berlioz. His EP, Jazz is for Ordinary People. Uh, Berlioz is an artist out of the UK. He's primarily a saxophone player, but he has decided to take saxophone and mix it with house music. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Damn. It's pretty great. And the coolest part about that was that he sent me, I ordered the, the EP off of um, Bandcamp. And when I got it, the address it came from was his address. So he fucking sent it, like, from his apartment. And Damn. So, you, know, and so, <laughs> you know, so that's pretty cool. Uh, number two is my best album of the year, but it's not my best ex- media experience of the year, which we'll get into. Um, Yusuf Days. You brought it up. Yusuf Days, Black Classical Music. Um, an absolute opus. Be- between him and Mackay McCraven, they're the two best drummers alive right now. Right. Gotta be. And the fact that he's able to use all the aspects of black music, mm. with yes. including Afrobeat, yep. including jazz and hip-hop, brings Tom Mish, who's also an amazingly talented guy, has an amazing album with Tom Mish as well. Um, brings Tom Mission for a great song, Rust, which is just, it's one of those albums, like Andrew said, you put it on and you don't have to take it off. Just let it play. So it's the best album I've listened to this year. Probably one of the best albums I've listened to in the last couple of years. Yep. Um, my number one, though, is you brought it up. They put out a, an album as well. Um, Jungle put out their Volcano album, which I've been a Jungle fan for many years, um, going all the way back to it's, you know, it busy earning was the first song that I, that I really liked by them, which is on their first album. Um, seeing them kind of progress their sound, I think this album is when they finally figured out their sound, and they finally figured out sonically. They really embraced it anyway. Right, and they have figured out sonically what they can do with their sound. And it's just a tremendous album from front to back. Um, another non-skip record. But then on top of that, I got to see the tour based off that album at the Sylvie with my friends. And got to dance the whole the whole freaking night. It was great. And um, just an amazing performance from the first song they came on to the last song they did. I've, n- I've never seen a show this good as Sylvia. Yeah. The, the only thing that I would say is that I think you and I said this. It was on a Monday. Yeah. We really wished it would have been on, like on a Friday or a Saturday. Yeah. Because the, the Sylvie crowd would have just been insane. Mm. And so... But still, like on a Monday to come and like put a show like that out and just to kill it. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that was my number one. It's Jungle. Volcano. Go check it out. It's great. It's, it's a fantastic album. I guarantee you, if you listen to that album and don't start dancing, go to the doctor because something's wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, thank you so much to all of our listeners who have stuck with us this year. It's our. Uh, we've been at this actually about a year and a half at this point. Yep. Um, we're on episode 40 of NDZ Live, but 
we're actually probably closer to episode, 50 or 60. Yeah, yeah, at least like 60 or 70. We had, we had, we had, we had Lenny. Loggers with Lenny. We've yeah. done other sort of iterations yeah. of this. We're going to keep this going through the offseason. We will have coverage of the team as the uh, preseason starts February 1st. Yep. So we're only about five weeks away from that. Yep. Um, so watch for that. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Thank you again to Fran for joining us this week. We will have you back 100%. Thank you for just making Just invite time yourself like you always do. <laughs> yeah. It's great. No, we'll just invite her on. We have her email address. Like I, you know, we got all these Are we fancy ways now? of con yeah. We got we're we're multi platform, Grant. That's what is that's what's up. We're a squad now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like and absolutely congratulations to you all on episode forty. Yeah. Thank you. We've been uh we're been we're a good one. we have hopes for some uh interesting news. Towards the start of the season, we're working on some things in the background for more print issues. We're making them more accessible to people, potentially free. Uh, we'll keep you all in the loop as much as we can. And thank you again to our Patreon backers who make this possible literally every month. Uh, we we started this thing with the intention of having the community back it. Uh, you've more than showed up. Thank you so much to everybody who bought a True Tell Death t-shirt or a tapestry. We'll have close to a thousand dollars that will like we've already given Nazim about five hundred bucks for the tournament down in South Africa. We'll probably have another four or five hundred dollars for, for him in year. a couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, you're helping do incredible things around Forward Madison Football Club in in and around Madison, Wisconsin in general. So thank you so much again for joining us. We will talk to you again in the new year. And as Grant always says, be easy. Take care of yourselves. We'll see y'all next time. Cheers. <laughs>